Okay, I'm just going to jump into the message kind of in this somber tone. I'm excited, uh, but on the same note, um, today is such a unique and it's such an interesting day. Because it's like, let's talk about worship, let's talk about how good God is. But, but it's also 9-11. And there are people here possibly mourning because of things that happened in that day. I remember when I was in, I think I was in kindergarten when that happened. And I do remember I lived in Kansas and uh, there was a kid in my classroom that his dad was at work that day and passed away that day. And so our class had a really realistic face on what was happening on a micro level because for kids, again, kindergarten, it's like you live forever. Um, and there was, just, there was this eye-opening reminder to kindergartners. That's not always the case. And we got to speak with the... We got to speak with the, the families, and, and his mother came in and talked with us. And it was just a, it was a, it was a crazy and a really surreal experience. And I remember going home. I barely remember. It's like I feel like people younger than me probably don't even really have much of a memory of it because for me it's like such a – it's on the fringe. We're getting to the place where it's easy to forget the significance of this day. Um, but I just remember my stepfather at the time – he made me sit down after school, and he made me watch the screen, and he said, he's like, listen, like, you're young. This might not mean it, like anything to you right now, but this day will always be talked about. This day will be in your history textbooks as you're growing up. This day will, will always be a part of history now, so look and watch. And it, it's crazy how much things change because I distinctly remember, and this is terrible, but it's true. It just speaks to my age. I distinctly remember being bored during the news. Thing. I didn't know. Like I didn't know. I was just like, I, I want to go play video games. You know, I didn't get when my parents were crying. And to be frank, I didn't care. Like I, just, I wanted to go do something else, anything besides this. And, um, and yeah, as you get older, you look back and, and you realize that like. Tomorrow truly is promised to no man. Uh, many of us experience loss on, on deep and personal levels. And um, it's meant to be a reminder that today could actually be your day. And you actually could go before a holy and living God today. And that everything we worried about, and again, sorry, sorry, this is like such a somber, but I feel like it's important that everything we, 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 we thought was important and everything that we thought that mattered and all the petty arguments and the petty squabbles and what I'm going to do with my life and my career and all this stuff, it, it suddenly doesn't mean anything anymore. And you're in front of a God who will either say, well done, my good and faithful servant, or he will say, be gone, I never knew you. And that will define eternity for you. And from that moment, there is no turning back. And from that moment, there is no change. From that moment, there is no fixing what has now been set in stone. And I think in the West, in America, I think it's even easier to get comfortable. And I watched a, I watched a video uh, yesterday, yesterday, wow, what a, I watched a video several months ago, um, and there was, it was like a, a, a crowd of people, and they were 
worshiping Jesus. And they were shouting loudly. And uh, I remember how this came into my timeline. It was like a missionary that I, I know, and it was like from his phone, like he posted it. And that two weeks after that video took place, it's like something crazy, like over 50% of that crowd had been martyred from two weeks after that video. But here's the thing, they shouted knowing that their lifespan was gonna be about two weeks. Cause that's the average lifespan of the people in that area, you know? And it's like, again, worship hits different when we're reminded of who we're worshiping. The somber, quiet, introspective worship, I think is not a bad thing, right? But I do tend to think that it is the worship of comfortable people, not the worship of dead men walking, you know? And again, not to step into the Kool-Aid, into people's living room, but maybe just a little bit, that the same people who will do this during worship will scream during the Super Bowl. And so it's like, I know how you praise. And so then maybe I know that this isn't praise, right? Um, that, that our God is so holy and he is so awesome. And, and I think it's so easy for us to forget the magnitude of who he is, the magnitude of the fact that, that, that he is alpha and he is omega and he is beginning and he is end. And when I go before him Sunday, I'm going alone. I do believe in heaven we'll, we'll be aware of each other, but I'm not going before the Father with you guys. I'm going before the Father. And, and, and when you go before the Father, you won't get to say, but Pastor West didn't. Well, Pastor Thomas didn't teach me. He didn't. Because we can't walk our walk for you. No one can walk your walk. No one can worship God for you. No one can pray to God for you. No one can seek the Lord for you. I can intercede. I can say, God, move on their hearts. But at some point, we have to cross the line into comfortable Christianity, into it's real. And this God that I serve is real. And Paul, as we wrap up Ephesians chapter 3, Paul focuses in on this sentiment. And so if you've been with us the last several weeks, a couple months now, huh, of this series? A couple months now going through Ephesians, and we, we're, we are, at, once I finish this sermon, we're halfway done. Woo. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, but this has been a beautiful sermon series, to be honest, because it's like you know, sermon series, like I made it up. We're just, it's Paul's sermon series. We're just telling you what he said, you know. But just going through and just seeing what was on the heart of apostles and leaders that came before us, followers of Jesus. But I want to take your attention to the title of today's message because I think it's significant. It is the God of the impossible. Um, Paul is concluding his theological breakdown of the church today. And going forward, he's going to be a lot more practical. So going forward from this point when we meet together, we'll be dealing a lot more with how to be Christians versus here's the theology of the thing, right? And if you recall from chapter one all the way through chapter three, Paul was mostly dealing with the Gentiles and the Jewish people actually being one body, right? 
And so I know this verse is a verse that we like to quote a lot. So let's just hit it up. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21. Were we able to get it on one slide? Perfect. It's all on one slide because it's all we're going to talk about today. It says, now to him who is able, all right, and now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all ask or think, hallelujah, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul just stopped his theological breakdown and just started worshiping God. Which, for the record, scholars in the room, if your scholarly studies of Jesus does not lead you at some point to your knees weeping before the Lord, we miss something. Because the Hebrew of Hebrews, the man at the feet of Gamaliel, the one who's been trained and has the first five books of the Bible memorized, the one that God called to break down the law and to translate over into the law of grace so that we can understand it. The man that God sent to do that had to pause and worship because he was undone by a holy God. And all of this theology and everything he was building and everything that he was teaching, it just led to worship. It wasn't deep. It wasn't philosophical. It was personal. And we do not serve a philosophical God. We serve a personal God who cares. And right now, whether you feel him or not, he is in the room. He is speaking to you. He is moving in your hearts and on your life. Right now, however many people are in the room, it's that many individual stories that God is working on individually and yet corporately. Now and yet he will walk with you. It feels lonely, but yet I am never alone. And Paul pauses because what is Paul saying in this section of scripture? He is, what is the far more abundantly that we can ask and think? What is the impossible that God did? Well, he brought the Jews and the Gentiles together. Right. And it, we I think we apply this verse in a lot of other ways. And I do think we are correct in applying this verse in all of those ways. So before we talk about us, let's talk about what Paul is talking about. Paul grew up in a setting where Jewish people and Gentiles did not worship together. It was unthinkable. Let me hear this word. It was actually scandalous. Like it was actually not correct. And so Paul is now writing to a people and the whole group together is everything he was told would never happen. In fact, when people started preaching that it would happen, Paul started murdering them. I've been seeing a post go around and it's so beautiful. It's like only in Christianity will you see this kind of love that the people that Paul martyred are going to cheer when he walked into heaven. Because God's, we serve an impossible God. And when we worship, that worship comes from this awe of like, I shouldn't have made it. I shouldn't be here. I don't belong. But God... And so Paul's undone, and Paul pauses a prayer. And it's funny, uh, it almost seems to me 
like we talked about this, how Paul is writing and then he suddenly side tangents. It's almost like in Paul's writing, you can see a buildup to, I, I just need to worship. You can see the, the, the tension in his writing if you, read it in the, if you read and understand how we've been talking. And it's all been building to just, just there's nothing else to talk about. There's nothing else to pontificate on. He's just good. And when churches separate and break apart and Christians gossip and we slander and we become more about the legalism of things than the love of things and not again when we serve God at some point he does lead us down a path of holiness do not miss it our God is holy but well before we walk in his holiness we are broken people on the floor crying before a loving God because he called me before I was perfect and I don't know if you've met me before but he's still calling me even though I'm not perfect and so Paul is undone by the impossibility of what he's experiencing. And I think if we're attentive to what God is doing in our lives, I think we would see again and again that God has consistently done the impossible in our lives. We talked about glory several Wednesdays ago, and I read from Isaiah chapter 6. And then last Wednesday, we had a guest speaker, Tyler Hazelwood, come, which was, man, it was amazing. Just seeing some of you walk in your gifts and just with no pressure just to sit in the presence of God and just let him wash over. And he read from the same section of scripture. And I want to read, to you, read, it, read it to you guys again in the heart of worship. And I want to start with this, that in the year of King Uzziah, oh, sorry, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Uh, I want to pause really quick. King Uzziah was a great king. Israel was very safe when he was king. He was a military conqueror. They were fine. When kings die, nations enter into a place of unrest, and they enter in a place of wondering about their future. I think for many of us, we've felt that tension lately. Midterms are coming up. Not that I'm going to tell you what to vote for, but it's just so weird how for the first time, maybe I'm just old enough to notice it now, but for the first time in my life, it just seems like everyone's holding their breath around an election. Yeah. We're in a similar place, and I think the answer is still similar. But go vote. You live in a country where you can. Do it. Vote in the midterms. It's not popular. Do it. Go do it. But listen, in the year that the king who made everything right, the king who protected us, the king that made Israel prosperous, in the year that he died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. In the presence of a people who were scared for their future, Isaiah got the revelation that someone was sitting above on a throne. Welcome to America. In a nation where people are fearful for their future, above that is a king on a throne. A God who does the impossible. High and lifted up. And the trail of his robe, the train of his robe filled the temple. 
uh, Tyler Hazelwood said something. Pastor Tyler said something, and I want to remind you guys of this. Uh, the trail of the robe uh, in this time, uh, as kings were defeated, they would add the trail of their robe to theirs. And so, like, it's what's awesome is that, like, if his robe is so big that it's filling the temple, it's like the concept of, like, all of the kingdoms and I'm over. Like, my trail is so long that it is filling this place because I am the God above all of the kingdoms. Right? And the robe is very symbolic of God's high stature. And what's crazy is later in Israel, later in Isaiah, that robe is going to be filled with blood. But that's not what we're talking about now. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy. Now hear me, called is loud. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole world is filled with his glory. And if you were here, quick side note, glory is just the physical manifestation of God's holiness. It means weight. The weight of God's holiness in a room is glory, right? And so when we begin to worship and you have those moments where you just feel undone, it's glory. You have those moments where you don't understand, you're praying, you don't know why, you just start to cry. It's because of glory. It's a weight, not a negative weight. I think it's one that sets men free. I've been crying a lot this week, and they haven't been tears of defeat. I feel like they've been cleansing tears in anticipation for things that God has been speaking to me about worship and the simplicity of this message is like I could talk about it forever because there's not there's not a lot to talk about it's like he's just good and the fountains of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke and I said I is Isaiah woe is me for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Blessed are those who mourn. Listen to me. God is loving, and he is kind. And oftentimes, for many people, the first thing we recognize when we enter his presence is our shortcomings. Can I tell you, that's actually a healthy first step. Only if you let the second step happen, right? Because if you just get condemned and then you just sit in all of your shortcomings, that's not God's will for your life. But then the next step, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burned coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah was right to be terrified of his sin in the presence of a king. But the king was loving and kind enough to remove that and let this man find peace. And that is our story. The weight of sin, the weight of death, the weight of our debts before God, they remind us of our need for him. And then we look to his love and we see that those things have no bearing on us. It keeps us humble and loving. It keeps us in awe but feeling safe. Amen? And he worships. And worship isn't this quiet affair. I think the worship is the sound of healed people, victorious people. And if we're going to shift over to Hebrews 13, this is kind of where I want to land the plane with you guys. 
Um, Starting in verse 12, it says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That place that we're longing for, it's not here. We don't belong here. We're not of this world. We're ambassadors. This is what is being talked about. Pilgrims. And just like Christ stepped down from heaven into a broken world, when he saved us, we're still here, outside the gates where God is. We're waiting for a coming kingdom. It's not here yet. We're preaching of the coming kingdom. We are the harbingers. We are ambassadors. We carry a message to set men free. So when that kingdom comes, they can walk through the doors with joy and gladness. Our ministry is reconciliation. It is love. It is salvation. It is freedom. But you cannot give to people what you do not have. Right? Freed people, free people. Joyful people bring joy. Strong people strengthen people. Healed people heal people. Right? But broken people break people. Lost people, blind leading the blind. Jesus has a whole section of scripture on that. But this is the verse. And through him, like, what is our response? What do we do while we're waiting for this coming kingdom? Well, through him, let us continuously offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Listen to me. Praise is not quiet. It is the fruit of the words from your mouth. Hear me, church. What do we do? Did you know that our religion still requires sacrifice? He lift up his holy name. Because don't forget, what's your role in heaven? You're a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? They minister to God. We've always been the people called to minister to God. And even here, we minister to him. I mean, David says, God, may my words bless you. You can bless God through worship. Not through the fake actions of hopping up and down because you know you're supposed to. Right? Genuine. I'm not saying fake it till you make it. That's lame. I'm saying shift into a place with God where he begins to break things off of you. And in that place of joy, of light, of lightness, the weight is gone. Jump with joy and you will. It'll come naturally. I used to not be able to cry. Now I cry in God's presence all the time. I used to be embarrassed to lift my hands. And I don't care what anyone thinks about me. I'm going to worship God. I used to be afraid of people's perspective on me entering God's presence. And again, there's a freedom when you really get to know God. But I think some people, what they think is freedom, and it's just an ignoring of convictions. God has called some of us to lift our hands, and you feel the weight of it. And you're like, oh, it's because people are judging me. No, it's because there's a spirit inside of you that is crying out and wants to partake. 
Uh, as I close this, got three minutes. Uh, as I close this, uh, I want to say something that God has been speaking to me. Um, so I'll say take this with a grain of salt because this is something God's been talking to me about. Um, and when I say grain of salt, I, I'm kind of, I beat myself up. I'm pretty, pretty hard on myself. So like when I'm talking to myself through things, like I'm, I'm kind of heavy about it. Uh, so if this is a little heavy, hear it with the heart that it's coming from. Right. Uh, I've been reading a lot, a couple sections of scripture, the story of David. Right. And he's dancing before the Lord and he's and he's twirling. Right. I love that. And, and because God's presence is entering back into Israel and David does what is the appropriate response to the presence of God entering the room. He begins to shout and the king begins to look undignified and the king begins to act in a way that according to tradition and social pressure a king should not act and so his wife walks up and she says what are you doing and then he says she says you're undignified and this was the daughter of Saul and then God said I'm gonna get more undignified than this and he says this because of your family's refusal to worship God like this it is why the kingdom was taken from you it's so heavy, and the Bible says that she was not allowed, God did not allow her to bear children. Because listen, God does not want to reproduce through people who cannot worship him. And that when God, like when God calls us to disciple and pour into people, it's the worshipers who are effective. It's the people who seek God that really begin to bring lasting change. That there's things that God wants to do through us, but in love he won't do them until we get an actual healthy revelation of his goodness. Because I want my children to grow up in a home of praise. And I think they'll be products of that. Say what you will about Titus, but he's free. And he knows it. <laughs> Say what you will about Isla, but she's free. She's fat and happy. In Jesus' name. But then I, I look over and, and I see the same story of a, of a, a tax collector who's sitting with Jesus. And, and then a woman comes into the room and she begins to cry. And she begins to wash his feet and she begins to worship him. And this, I think it was a Pharisee or a tax collector, I forget who it was. One of them, Pharisee, my man. And this Pharisee is looking and he's going, if only Jesus knew the sins that she had committed, he would not let her touch his feet. And so Jesus, knowing his thoughts, says if two people were set free, if two people owed a great debt, and the king said to them, your debt is free. Who of the two would love the king more? He says, the one who's been forgiven most. He said, so the don't, don't judge her for her worship. See, that story wasn't saying that this Pharisee didn't have a lot of sin. He's saying the Pharisee didn't have a lot of gratitude. And so I see a man sitting at a table, judging someone else's worship, trying to look in elevation with Jesus, having conversations with him, trying to be equal to him, thinking that it was his job to judge what people in the room should be doing. And I see a woman who's undone and doesn't care. 
And I started to ask myself, dang it, I almost made it. I started to ask myself a question. When I worship, who do I look like? Who do I look more like? Like, is it my place to judge God? Well, if God is so loving, why wouldn't he do? Is it my place to judge God? No, because I'm just like that man sitting at the table thinking that other people's broken worship is somehow beneath me. And it's like, or, or you can be so undone by the awareness of what God has done for you that with the tears from your cheeks, you wipe them clean. Yeah. See, the Bible teaches us only two people you ever see in scripture actually kiss Jesus. There's a woman who kissed his feet and there was Judas who kissed his face. The face, the recognition, the equality was a traitor's kiss. But the kiss of one who knew spoke a lesson that Jesus said about her. When my gospel is preached, her story will be told. The Bible says that she poured oil on his head. Jesus died days later. Do you know how often they bathed? I saw a TikTok, right, of a man who, who poured oil on, a, on like a leather, like a, like a cow hide kind of thing. And he let it sit for several days. And then he came back with the whip and he hit it. And you could see the, the oil flying off of the thing. And then he, he talked a lesson about how he believed that when Jesus' skin ripped, you could smell her worship which is such a crazy story that worship was the scent of Jesus's death. It's like worship is so important. And, and, and I, you have people ask, well, why, why would I worship him? Because we've been forgiven of much. It's easy to worship God when you know you should be in a gutter with a needle in your arm. It's my story. It's, e it's easy to worship God when you look at your children and know you're not worthy of them. When you look at your wife and you, you even think of the story of how you guys ended up together and you're like, that's just God being nice to me and I don't know what Versabia did wrong. <laughs> and it's like, but I remember when my grandmother passed away and I started falling off my rocker a little bit. I remember the, the thing that finally snapped me back to reality is I just closed my Bible and I turned my phone off. And I just got on my knees and God met me. He's real and he's here and there is so much pain in this room. I feel it. There's heart here. I mean, God is so lovely to heal it. wasn't even a sermon. This is, these, were my, these were my shower thoughts. It's just this verse. I just read it. I read it and I read it. And I'm like, it's, it's not theology. It's action. Paul just understands that this doesn't make sense. So I'm just going to worship. And I pray that Boulevard Church would be the kind of church of like, this, this doesn't make sense. So I'm just going to worship. I love, it's almost perfect for my message that, that, Worship started off awkward and that the microphone was clinging during the thing. And, and it's, 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 it's perfect that the verses didn't pop up right away. Like it's perfect because it perfectly encapsulates the point. We don't worship God through 
technology working well. We don't worship God through a planned, pristine service. We worship God by being undone men and women crying in the presence of an almighty God. And it's so easy. It's so easy to get distracted. None of that stuff matters. If the power went out right now and the mics didn't work and my voice isn't very loud, and, and what would we do? We'd worship. And if this building got taken away, what would we do? We, we would worship. Erect a little tent and just meet in a field. But again, like, who do I worship like? Do I worship like Michael looking down on someone who is undone? Or do I worship like David who does not care who is looking? What do I look like? Me, Pastor Wes. Again, this is God was talking to me about it. I'm just throwing it out there. I want to look like him. But he worshiped in such a way that they asked him to teach them. He prayed in such a way that they asked him, like, well, what's, what's different about you? He he sought God in such a way that was so different than the religious systems of the time. Which was you go and you pray at this time and you do this thing with these people. And depending on your social structure, you get to go this far into the temple and that far. And then in that setting, Jesus just got on his knees. I thought there's a section in Mark that Bible says that Jesus woke early and he prayed. This wasn't one of those stories where he went up to the mountain. His disciples were sleeping right there and he just got up and started praying. When, 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 when God picked, was it Philip under the, under the tree? Who was it? Nathaniel. He sees him and, and the man walks up to Jesus, Nathaniel. And he goes, this is a man within whom there is no deceit. Right? And then, and then the man looks at him, and Nathaniel looks at him, and he says, like, like what do you mean? And he goes, I, I saw you underneath that tree. I saw you underneath the fig tree, specifically. And I love it because rabbinical teachings at the time, the fig tree is symbolism of the secret place, of the place of worship. So when he says, this is a man of no deceit, and he looks at him, he goes, what are you talking about? He goes, I saw you praying because he's God. I saw you worshiping, and I'm calling you here. He called him to be one of his 12 because of the content of his worship and his praise. Prayer and worship change things. They change atmospheres. It impacts people who are interested in being impacted. Paul and Silas in a prison cell, and all those other prisoners got set free because two men worshiped. Now, I'm struck by this thought of, it just takes one. But imagine if there's 50. I mean, if Jesus can change the world with 12 people, and we all have Jesus in us, what could 50 do? Dear Lord in heaven, I love you. I praise you. God, I pray we would be in awe of your holiness today. God, that we would be people that would worship you in spirit and in truth. That we would be set free in your goodness. That we would be undone in your greatness, God. In Jesus' name I say, amen.